From South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on November 16th, 2023 from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. Remember that date? You're going to hear a few of them next week. Now, in this episode, we look at the abrupt movements shaking up the 2024 field now that we are less than 100 days until the first in the South Republican presidential primary, folks. We are ramping up. We are getting there. Things are heating up, including Senator Tim Scott, who ended his presidential bid. Where's that cannon for? There it is. We talk with AP national politics reporter and friend of this exact pod, Meg Kennard. We also have several other campaign trail tidbits, including upcoming Donald Trump and Nikki Haley visits. And we get a much needed update on the economy from the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond economist, Laura Ulrich. Econ-pod. How's your bottom line doing, folks? How's the Christmas shopping going now that we're about to be in the holiday season? We are in the holiday season, let's be real. 803-563-7169. What do you get in the lead for Christmas? Could it be Alexis with a big bow, like we keep asking for? Could it be just a voicemail at 803-563-7169? Tell us what's going on in your world. We would love that. Even some of my family members who listen to this podcast who think maybe I'll call them, but they don't want to because they're too too scared. Hmm? Just mad that they didn't get their podcast from my father. Anyways, 803-563-7169. are officially less than 100 days away from the first in the South Republican presidential primary, and the field has once again narrowed. The narrowing. (laughs) God, that voice always gets me. With South Carolina Senator Tim Scott announcing on November 12th that he would be suspending his campaign while live on Trey Gowdy's show on Fox News. I love America more today than I did on May 22nd. But when I go back to Iowa, it will not be as a presidential uh, candidate. I am suspending my campaign. I I think the voters uh, who are the most remarkable people on the planet have been really clear that they're telling me not now, Tim. I don't think they're saying, Trey, no, but I do think they're saying not now. And so I'm going to respect the voters and I'm going to hold on and keep working really hard and uh, look forward to another opportunity. You are suspending right? your presidential campaign. You, 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 have, you have plenty of money. You have the highest approval numbers of any candidate that is running. And you're, you're a couple of states away from coming to a state where you are beloved and you are suspending your presidential campaign. The move came amid stagnant poll numbers, dwindling fundraising, and lackluster debate performances that never led to a breakout moment for the junior senator, especially in the somewhat crowded field that includes former Governor Nikki Haley, all fighting for second place behind former President Donald Trump. Scott, who narrowly got on the debate stage in Miami, faced a higher hill to climb if he was going to qualify for the December 6th stage in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Earlier this fall, Scott's super PAC announced that it was pulling down millions of dollars in advertising in Iowa and New Hampshire. Then Scott, on October 23rd, announced his campaign was going all in on Iowa, 
Five days later, former Vice President Mike Pence dropped out of the race, and Scott was seen as setting up to fill that void, especially for evangelical voters in Iowa. We then saw Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds throw her support behind Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, setting the stage for a hard-fought battle in the Hawkeye State in some 60 days come caucus day, especially for someone like former Governor Nikki Haley. But with Scott and Haley splitting the same lane, donors and supporters in many ways, Scott's move is expected to boost Haley. Her campaign announced Monday that they were launching their initial ad buy in Iowa and New Hampshire to the tune of $10 million on radio, TV, and online, beginning the first week in December. This move comes after three standout debate performances have resulted in Haley getting another look, as well as momentum in polls and fundraising. Now the ad buys will reinforce her name and message to folks who may now just be tuning in. For more on this major development in the race, I spoke with Associated Press national politics reporter and friend of the pod, probably more important, Meg Kennard, my best friend. Now, Scott was one of the main candidates Meg has been following, and shortly after he made his announcement on Trey Gowdy's show, she was up with a story. I spoke with her on This Week in South Carolina on set in studio. That's right, though our new set is still forthcoming. Stay tuned. And I asked her about what happened. Meg, you and I were both uh, at Senator Tim Scott's presidential campaign launch back in May. Completely different scene than where we were this past Sunday when you were writing his campaign obit. Tell us how we got here and what happened to this campaign. Well, it just it, I'm sure it comes down to a lot of things, and it's going to take us weeks to really figure out what happened. But I think for Tim Scott, there was really not the fundraising that he had expected to mm-hmm. continue following him through. You know, he came into this race with more money than any of his other GOP rivals, but that really wasn't steady. There wasn't like a splash where all these new donors came to him and maybe some big ones kicked in some major bucks. So there wasn't that. There also weren't the poll numbers that he would have wanted to see to kind of give a campaign encouragement. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, you're really doing the good thing. Voters in these early states particularly like your message. They'll stick with you through Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. Um, But, you know, especially with former President Donald Trump's dominance in the race in the GOP primary so far, Tim Scott really didn't benefit from any of the other switches and and sways that we've seen for some of the other remaining candidates. So, you know, those two things really just kind of came together to a point where his campaign was like, we have enough money to get through those early contests, but we might really be embarrassed by those results. And so maybe we should get out now and let the field consolidate a little bit. Yeah, huge bomb on Sunday night on Trey Gowdy's Fox News show. Uh, you know, Tim saying, not the time. People are telling me it's not the time. And we've been hearing that, too, on the campaign trail, too. You know, you go to these Donald Trump rallies. Uh, of course, those folks are completely different than a lot of other folks who are making up their mind because they are already dying the wool, ready to vote for Donald Trump. And when you ask them about Donald Trump versus Nikki Haley or Tim Scott, they're like, well, uh, we like Tim Scott, but not the time. And Nikki Haley, they, just, they don't register with. So uh, that's how you see that dominance that Trump has. So it's fun. It's fascinating to see that. And then you also didn't really see many debate breakout moments from Tim Scott, too. You know, it's hard to find somebody along the campaign trail that has something overtly negative to say about Tim Scott. Mm-hmm. He's made a big point of running a very positive campaign. That resonates, but I think it's also true to who he is as an individual. So, yeah, it's hard to find those people who are like, wow, this guy, we really just can't stand him. But there is a lot of maybe not now, maybe in the future sort of thing. He's only 58 years old. In campaign politics, especially presidential stuff, that is many more cycles potentially to go. But, yeah, in the debates, especially when it was a very crowded 
crowded debate stage with eight candidates, and then, you know, as the number has kind of gone down through subsequent debates, there haven't been those breakout moments for Senator Scott like there have been for Governor Haley, for example, for Vivek Ramaswamy. Even Ron DeSantis has had landed a couple of moments in those. So those didn't really happen for Tim Scott, and perhaps that's part of what kind of translates into, okay, let's close the doors on this and maybe wait for another cycle. Yeah, just super fascinating, especially when we see, you know, not even a month ago, him saying, okay, we're going all in on Iowa, even though his package just pulled down a bunch of ads that were running to Iowa and New Hampshire, which was, I guess, maybe the biggest warning sign that we mm-hmm. should have been heeding. Uh, so really caught his staff off guard, too. And of course, when you're talking about the debate stage, we've seen that dwindling, including former Vice President Mike Pence, who right. we thought Tim Scott was going to kind of take that lane. We were just right. on the show last week talking about that. So we were just really here. interesting to see how we're shaping up 100 days now from uh, South Carolina's primary. Getting closer and closer. And, you know, going back to Sunday night and the campaign staffers that I was talking to that we were kind of like, wow, what happened? Did you know about this? The number of them who said, no, I did not know that this was coming. Sure, when you have a big announcement like this, it makes sense to have kind of a close hold on the information or else it is going to leak out before the candidate really intends for it to. I understand that. But to hear... They just asked us all to pick up and move to Iowa for these big moves, and now we have to turn around and go directly back home. There's a lot of frustration. Campaigns always come to an end. Most of them come to an end in a negative way for the candidate and the staffers. But still, this kind of was a, a different sort of moment coming, you know, at a point where I think folks had at least assumed they would be in it through Iowa, if not yeah. able to stick through the other contests that follow. But I guess that's kind of what everyone's been talking about is having to consolidate this field for folks that want someone besides Trump and not to have a repeat of what we saw in 2016. You're going to have to start seeing folks drop off here. But um, we still have a debate stage coming up on December 6th in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where we do have what I guess Governor Christie's still going on the stage, too. He has said that. The, I think there's a little bit of dispute as to whether some of the polls he's citing in terms of, yes, I have what I need, uh, may qualify. The RNC won't tell us until 48 hours before that, that debate actually happens who's in and who's out. But don't forget, at this point, going back to the, the size of the field in 2016 and the 2016 cycle, we had 13 Republican candidates yes. still competing. And I, I have to think that in the minds of strategists, even some of the candidates themselves, Themselves, there's a memory back to that point of like, remember that? Remember when we didn't consolidate and pull down and kind of get behind each other? And look who we ended up with, who's now still the titular head of our party and, you know, we're facing off directly with. Mm-hmm. So I think there is a memory back to that cycle and kind of looking forward into the votes of next year among some of these Republicans thinking, all right, let's do it differently this time. And saving some of that money, too, for, for Scott, because Senator Scott just got reelected again. This is his last term in the Senate. Uh, he can hang on to some of that money. He brought a lot of the money into the race and I guess he can use it for whatever the future holds. Do we know what his future is looking if, like right if now? If there's another federal race for him, he could potentially hang on to some of that. Let's, you know, like you noted, he has said this is going to be his last Senate race. He's never said anything else about other contests. He's already served in the U.S. House. Who knows? We saw Mark Sanford go back to the House after serving as governor and running for president and everything else. So, you know, maybe there's another federal race, or he could just hang on to it and do something different with it. So, you know, mm-hmm. that remains to be seen. It's coming back to South Carolina. He couldn't use the money for this, but there is a governor's race that's going to be be coming up in 2026. (laughs) So that'll be before the next presidential cycle. And, you know, Senator Scott may be looking to have something that will ground him future, you know, in the future more in South Carolina. So we'll see. It's going to be a wide open race there in 2026, and he'll still be in the Senate. So it won't hurt, especially when it comes to fundraising. But, you know, we're watching and waiting now with the supporters, right? So this just happened on Sunday, a big seismic shift. We're looking at donors, uh, specifically when we look at Nikki Haley, right? Because it seemed like they were really sharing a lane for the longest time, splitting a lot of supporters, donors. Now that's changed. So, Meg, what are you looking at when it comes to 
uh, where that money is going to go. We're looking at Wall Street. You know, we have, have these reports with Nikki Haley, me with J.P. Morgan Chase's Jamie Dimon. Uh, she's talking to mega donor Ken Griffin, who's mm -hmm. leaning toward her. I uh, just read that Spencer Zwick, who was on Romney's campaign in 2012, mm -hmm. big fundraiser for him, is also supporting her now. So kind of coming back to her versus, you know, we'll, it, this was kind of like the big story for Scott going into this race. A lot of people left her mm -hmm. for him. Now it's coming back full circle. So what are we watching when it comes to donors and supporters for Haley and DeSantis? Ideologically, there are a lot of similarities between Tim Scott and Nikki Haley. Sure, it's convenient and kind of a cute soundbite that they are both South Carolinians, but they do have a lot of agreement on issues. And so if you're a donor and you're looking kind of where your money's going to be parked in terms of candidates, she might be your next best bet if Tim Scott had been your guy. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we're seeing also some other donor moves of, of people looking toward Ron DeSantis and thinking, well, he might have, you know, more momentum or he might be occupying a bigger of the non-Trump lane within the GOP primary. So, you know, maybe he has a better chance. I mean, it's always hard to know. But, you know, if you had been thinking about Mike Pence, if you had been thinking about Tim Scott and you're kind of looking around, there are a lot of differences with Nikki Haley, but there are a lot of similarities. And so some donors might be thinking, well, she has momentum. She mm -hmm. does have a lot of you know, upward mobility in terms of where her campaign has gone through these last couple of debates. She's had some good moments and has been able to capitalize on that in terms of really, you know, getting appearance of support. We'll see how it actually translates. But this would be the time for her mm -hmm. campaign to try to get a hold of some money to build out more infrastructure. We've heard that there still isn't a lot of infrastructure in these early states. She's spending a lot of time there. Mm -hmm. But what does the ground game look like? That's a tired phrase, but it actually is starting to matter now that we are very, very close to Iowa. And it seems like you could probably start taking over some of these operations to like whatever Tim Scott's operation was like in right? Iowa. And you can also pick up some Pence folks. I mean, this is when the, the field starts shifting a good bit, especially when we're like some 60 days away from Iowa. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's right around the corner. It is happening. Yeah. And then you look at also, um, you know, I saw Trump's own pollster was saying that he expects a lot of folks that were supporting Scott to go to Haley, kind of what you were talking about there too, Meg. So it's going to come down to money and, and really just kind of a, a, a bare knuckle brawl, I would say, between Haley and DeSantis at this point, as they're fighting for a very distant second, we need to remind that's right. people. Absolutely. The, I mean, former President Trump is still very dominant in a lot of of these early state matchups and the polling figures that we see, I mean, that is across the board true. And so wherever either of the other two, where Haley and DeSantis end up, it is a distant second to him at this point. Mm -hmm. That's in large part due to just kind of a maintenance of popularity and also just the former president kind of seeming like he was running even when he wasn't. You know, he's always just kind of like kept reminding people, mm -hmm. remember what I did for you? You didn't really love me maybe to begin with, but you grew to love me and I'm still saying the same stuff. So you think they're really, I mean, and we also know that she's introducing herself more and more. She's putting up $10 million in advertising mm -hmm. on these airwaves. We've seen those other candidates do that before. Now she's really kind of capitalizing on this momentum, which we keep hearing a lot about, especially when it comes to polling. Mm -hmm. We saw the Winthrop poll come out this week where she's still maintaining second place well ahead of uh, DeSantis, but still very far behind Trump. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be interesting. I guess, Meg, what are you watching with, with two minutes left here over the next couple of months, weeks, uh, when it comes to this field? where we can see things going. I think that we're gonna need to see like visible excitement. Mm -hmm. You know, you and I have both been out on the road. We've been in Iowa and these early early places, early caucus places and voting places. And it's, it's not all about crowd size. That is not like, I'm not saying that at all. Mm -hmm. 
But I think you can. Don't tell people on Twitter about that. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, like that's so true. But when you look at these events, you know, kind of like feeling the energetic vibe, it's hard to put into words, but you can feel it. Yeah. And I think that as we go into those places, even here in South Carolina, which obviously is the first in the South GOP primary state, we're going to need to kind of feel that vibe Mm -hmm. to see like are any of these people who potentially had been supporting Donald Trump maybe changing their minds? Some of them, the answer is no. I don't know what the percentage would be, but a lot of those people are baked in, and that's where they are. Mm-hmm. But for the people who might possibly be willing to change, they are going to need to feel excitement for wh- whichever that other candidate is who would be getting their support. And that's what we're going to have to be able to see, especially in the early states where these candidates are going to be hitting the ground hard between now and Iowa. Especially that and then also the December 6th debate and then Absolutely. not making any missteps too. We've already seen a couple of those happen already. And- you you got to make sure to, to land your zingers and to get your attacks in, but also not to mess up. And those that's a very delicate balance. I'm glad it's not me up there on the debate stage. <laughs> yeah. But yes, absolutely. That's on their minds too. A lot to watch. And we'll be there. We'll be on the campaign trail with AP. Certainly. National Politics Report, McInerney. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we got some more campaign trail tidbits for y'all. Biotech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy has announced that he is finally moving his campaign headquarters from his home state of Ohio to Iowa and New Hampshire. Next up, next item, next tidbit, we expect to see former President Donald Trump at the Carolina-Clemson game in Columbia the day after Thanksgiving on November 25th. We're waiting for details and confirmation, but stay tuned. Nothing like a little friendly proxy war between Carolina alumni Governor Henry McMaster, who's backing Trump, and Clemson alum Nikki Haley. No word if she'll be there, even though she is a Clemson University trustee. It is Thanksgiving weekend after all, and that sounds like a traffic nightmare. (laughs) Haley will be campaigning in Bluffton on the afternoon of Monday, November 27th, we can confirm. On the Democratic side, Vice President Kamala Harris was in town on November 10th to file for the first in the nation Democratic Party primary ballot. Take that, New Hampshire. She was joined by supporters and the campaign's co-chair, Congressman Jim Clyburn, who introduced her at the Democratic Party headquarters in Columbia. Here's Congressman Clyburn. Uh, This is really, really an incredible demonstration of what South Carolina is all about. I tell people all the time uh, that South Carolina has four distinct cultures. If you can acclimate and really penetrate uh, in the PD, the Piedmont, the Midlands, and the Low Country, you have done what is necessary to win the presidency in November. Harris, who has been making visits around the country at historically black colleges and universities, is seen as a growing way that the Biden campaign will reach younger voters and voters of color who maybe aren't feeling too enthused by Biden despite the administration's accomplishments. Harris put it this way. These are some of the basic things that are at stake in 2024, a fundamental fight for our freedoms. And so we are here with the wind in our back because did anyone notice what happened on Tuesday? I'm gonna require a longer memory. Did anyone notice what happened in the midterms? In the midterms, remember all the pudgetry talked about a red wave? 
That red wave never hit. No. What we saw was from Kansas to California and then on Tuesday, from Ohio to Virginia, the people, whether they be in so-called red or blue states, voted for freedom. They voted for liberty. And by extension, they voted to uphold our democracy. And so all of that is at stake. We have momentum. The wind is at our back. And so let us continue to do what we know how to do. This is a fight for, not against. And it is a fight born out of our sincere and deep love for our country. Now let's take a hard pivot to the economy. Econpod. Econpod. Woo. Okay, easy. Which, besides the campaign trail, is the only other thing I care about. Econpod. Campaign trail. Let's start off with some big bearing news. The aerospace giant announced late last month that it is ramping up production of the 787 Dreamliner that is produced at its North Charleston plant. Boeing CEO Dave Calhoun said on the October 25th third quarter call that output of the Twin Isle jet was now at five per month. The aircraft has faced several setbacks over manufacturing issues that have apparently cleared up, with Boeing announcing 50 787s delivered this year through September with plans to close out the year by delivering between 70 to 80 of the in-demand long-haul jets. Fly, fly. Now, there is a backlog of about 600 jets, which grew by five this week when Emirates Airline updated its order to 35 from 30 787s. Now, since the economy is so top of mind, which, again, is doing fine, folks. Remember, third quarter GDP came in at 4.9% annualized. But that being said, don't listen to me. Let's talk to Laura Ulrich. Laura is a senior regional economist at the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond and monitors the economies of both Carolinas. I spoke with her on This Week in South Carolina before the new CPI numbers came out, but shortly after the Federal Reserve said it would again be holding rates steady. Here's Laura. Yeah, you know, Gavin, this is a it, this has been such a unique time now. I feel like I've been saying that for three years, but the, <laughs> the fun, overall, the economy is doing well. I mean, we continue to get kind of uh, month after month of positive news on the employment uh, front. The retail sales report that came out a few weeks ago was was more positive than people expected. So overall, the economy is is strong. However, clearly, we still do have inflation well above the the two percent average target set by the Fed and. So um, even though the interest rates weren't increased this this past me- most recent FOMC meeting, um, Chair Powell certainly put a statement out saying that they were a little concerned that additional um, action by the Fed might be, might be might be needed to get inflation back to two percent. So mixed signals for sure, um, but overall the economy is holding up well. Yeah, when we look at unemployment in South Carolina, like you're, you're mentioning, we're at a record low at 2.9% in September. Uh, labor force participation rates at 57%. Hourly earnings are up to $30.07 an hour. So these are usually really great things to see. Does that work with the, how the economy is going right now when it comes to inflation also being a problem? When I saw the most recent jobs report, it was more positive than expected, way more positive than economists were expecting. My first thought was, wow, from an employment perspective, that's really great, right? And my second thought was, goodness, that makes getting inflation down even harder, right? So um, inflation really can be, be caused by increases in demand or decreases in supply. And on the demand side, the more money people have in their pockets, obviously, the more they they demand goods and services. And so as you see, those wages going up as we see more people becoming employed. 
um, demand for goods and services climbs, which is kind of the opposite of what we need for inflation to come down. Uh, we don't, though, necessarily need to be, we don't need to see job losses overall, right? I mean, I think, I think it is possible for us to have this this idea of a soft landing that everybody's heard about, um, but certainly the very strong job growth kind of works against uh, what the Fed's trying to do with inflation. And Laura, you mentioned that soft landing where you're trying to get back down to 2% without crashing the economy. Are we feeling pretty optimistic about that? I mean, we, we've been talking about different things for the past three years. Everyone's always been calling for the recession. Then it doesn't happen. Uh, now we see these incredible economic numbers too. So uh, are we still looking for some sort of recession or a pullback? Or how do you see it in the next couple months? So I will tell, say that if you look at all the economic forecasts that were out there for 2023, many of them were calling for a recession this year um, or, or early into next year. But over time, most of those models have, have taken out the probability of a recession. Like that's not what they're saying now. So I think the recession fears certainly continue to abound, um, but are lessened compared to what they were this time last year because growth has just beaten expectations. I mean, those forecasts were basically um, expecting flat growth in 2023, and we've seen growth that's been pretty strong for, for the U.S. this year. All that being said, though, if inflation continues to come down, it might not happen at, at a very fast pace, but if it continues to come down um, slowly, we we could have this this idea of a soft landing, right? But if inflation is more stubborn and, and doesn't come down back to to where the Fed um, wants it to be, needs it to be, then additional Fed policy might have to take place, and then I think the probability of a recession could go up. But right now, I, I feel you know it's certainly possible for us to have 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 a soft landing. Though, if you listen to what opinion polls are saying and what Americans are feeling about the economy, you would think we're in a recession right now, right? They say everything's on the wrong track. It's always interesting to see this. You look at the fundamentals are so strong. We're talking about GDP growth. Uh, you're talking about the retail sales, unemployment, uh, and these these higher wages. So, wh why do you what do you say? What do you tell people when you see this disconnect between fundamentals yeah. and then what folks are feeling and seeing? You know, it's so interesting. There, this is a typical pattern. Um, we also see this with companies. We help run the CFO survey, which is a national survey of CFOs across the country, along with Duke University and the Atlanta Fed. And in the CFO survey, if you ask CV CFOs about the overall economy, they're relatively negative about it. But if you ask CFOs about their own companies, they're positive. And, and consumers, we see the same thing. If we ask them, how is the economy overall? Those, those views right now are on the negative side. And if you look at the Consumer Confidence Index and some of those measures, they're, they're, at, low, they're at pretty low points right now, things that are almost comparable to kind of the Great Recession. Hmm. But then if you ask hmm. people about their own households, they're more positive. Um, so those patterns are, are known and, and they're always, it's kind of always that way. But right now that gap between how people feel about the broader economy and then their own company or their own checkbook is wider than it typically is. And so you can feel this right in kind of the tone of conversation about the economy and things like that with, with people, whether it's at work or on TV or, or with friends. But you can also see that people are feeling pretty confident about their own finances or their company finances because they're spending money, right? That's why we're seeing retail sales climb. That's why we're seeing spending in, in travel and tourism remain as strong as it has been. Um, so the, the disconnect is there, but I really think it's the how people feel about their own company or their own uh, wallet that, that really drives consumption. That was just a snippet of our interview with Laura Ulrich. You can find that on youtube.com slash South Carolina ETV. And This Week in South Carolina airs every Friday at 7.30 and Sundays at 1.30 p.m. on ETV channels statewide.
Welcome to the wind down section. Our little break from the news. We're glad you're here, A.T. Shire, because you know what? It's TGIF. TGIF. Thank God. No, that's wrong. Yeah, it is. Thank Thank Grace. It's Friday. You know what? TGTGIF. You You know what? You can't just rebrand TGIF. Thank God. Thank Grace. It's Friday. Friday, Grace. It's Tuesday. Mm, I don't like that. Anyway, Grace Grace is here. here. Hello, Grace. Hello. Thank you for having me back. Thank you for making time to do this. I have, I, I just want. Full full disclosure, it's I want Thursday. the listeners to know it is Thursday and I have makeup on. Yes, so anyway, you look so pretty, guys. With that in mind, Grace, you have some interesting stuff to talk about here. Okay? Yeah, so we're going to talk about Almond Moms. Mm-hmm. Okay, but. so the last time Grace was on, I don't know if you're like me, but we learned about hat fishing. We learned a few modern terms. And she was bringing up almond moms today, Grace. What is an almond mom? An almond mom is the type of mom that like only buys organic food and doesn't let her kids have McDonald's Mm -hmm. or any sort of or coffee or anything that's bad for you. Almonds are bad? I I support almond moms. To the point to the the extent I should say that it's not like it, I mean, I guess it has to be extreme because that's they're, yeah. they're being called that. But like, I, I, but I'm it, all about a moderate to almond mom. Like my Maybe mom is definitely mom. an almond mom. Yeah. <laughs> what was the worst thing Go growing up? Like, it. like your friends could do stuff you weren't allowed to do it because of the <laughs> almond of the mother. Like any food, soda. any unhealthy food, soda. Um, I wasn't allowed to have coffee until I was literally 18 years old. Well, I mean, were you aching <laughs> for coffee as a No, teen? but like, yeah, I guess that's not really the best example. Chips? But like, I didn't have Fruity Pebbles until I came to college. Mm, <laughs> I've yes. never had Fruity Pebbles. Well, see, I, see I, I, it, the reason I brought this up is because it seems like you are an mm, almond mom. I don't no. know. I don't know. No, that's just his nature. I've, I've, my, my parents were non-denominational, you know what I mean? So like. <laughs> they weren't legumes. Yeah. It's just, when I, when you grow up in Jersey, you have. Here we go. You have diners, you have drive-ins, bagel place, diners, diners, (laughs) dives even, some people would say. No, but like you have delis and pizza places, you know? And so instead of McDonald's, I would just get pizza. I would just get an Italian hoagie. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. There was a really good one at Barnaby's, the pub that my parents used to bring us to. So I don't think they were almond parents because we'd get some pretty good secondhand smoke at the bar. (laughs) Yeah, there was smoking. I mean, we would have, we weren't drinking soda during the week. I drink soda. I mean, compared to my brother's kids, and I know you're listening, Nick, because I've already told you about the the kids' sugar consumption is insane. Mm -hmm. I only wish, I mean, you've seen me eat sugar. It's, It's because I couldn't as a child. (laughs) <laughs> and now I can't stop eating when it's at the, the workplace. But That's like, we, what happens with almond moms, <laughs> the almond children. Well, you need that moderation. That's what I was kind of trying to get to get to the peanut mom. But not just like moderation. Like some, like I never had soda ever. Okay. Ever. So like, now you sound like my mom. Like you would have it once a year, and it was like on July fourth. Yeah, yeah, at like a family event or like at a birthday wow. party of someone else's. Even at my own birthday parties, no soda. What we were hosting. So were, when you got when you turned eighteen, were you were you more allowed to have coffee or soda? Um, soda I started having when I could drive because I would just go to McDonald's after school and get Diet Coke. <sighs> Diet Coke is yeah. what you started with? Oh, God, me and Grace, Grace man. We just have this bond, the Celsius, my, yeah, old, Celsius. my old Diet Coke lifestyle that I had to leave behind me too. because of the aspartame. Me too. So, I used to be a... So this is my mom's fault, my expensive. almond mom's fault. Yes. Mm-hmm. She deprived Preach. me of soda my go whole off, life. Go off, girl. And then yeah. I turned 16. Well, I actually didn't get my license until I was 17. Mm-hmm. So I turned 17, and I get my license, and then I'm a Diet Coke addict. Mm-hmm. And that, that continues was like Gavin last until, year. like, literally last, like, that, over the summer, that probably. That was like our parents. 
parents are like, you guys can't drink because you're not 21. Well, you know what? We still did it. Can we can we start a, a ranking here then, Grace, of you weren't allowed to do this almond. because of your almond mother. And you mm-hmm. try these things when you when you get some freedom. Rump what was good? Up. What was bad? Um, Soda, I would say mm. Diet Coke is good. Diet mm. Dr. Pepper is also good. Regular Coke is better than Diet Coke. Sure. Yeah. But... But don't let me stop you. Um, I, Fruity Pebbles overrated in my opinion. Mm. They're really, really sweet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like I know they're for little kids, but I can't imagine like eating those for breakfast. Exactly. The unhealthiest cereal my mom bought was Frosted Mini Wheats. Still, I loved a lot uh, of sugar. Yeah, which still do have a lot of sugar. Was but it corn she pops. Was, I don't think America needs me caffeinated. Do you oh, know what I mean? America does. <laughs> I think it would be America good. I don't think does. so. I think we should, our next podcast, you should drink a Celsius. Oh. The only way this podcast gets done is after at least 400 milligrams of I, caffeine. I think if I drank a Celsius, I would interrupt Gavin so often. Much that more. He would get so pissed off that he'd be like, you're, you're fired from the show. <laughs> I think it would be a fun experiment that we should do. Yeah, we can give AT caffeine and see what happens because you don't consume any other caffeine, right? Like you don't. I don't. No caffeine. No caffeine. So you've caffeine. never had caffeine ever? Like not even No, no, tea? no. I used to drink Coke. I like mm-hmm. Coke. Okay, I think but Coke that's like is trace amounts. amazing. You know what I mean? <laughs> I keep myself from drinking it by just not buying Celsius it. Celsius says you can only have two a day. <laughs> but we looked it up. Remember the other day? I'm like, how many, how yeah. many of these Nespresso pods can I drink until I OD on I love my on Nespresso. Caffeine? Because... Yeah, stop it. All you people with single-use plastics, stop it. No, hey, it's a little foil re- and I recycle. I have the reusable I recycle. Nespresso pod that I got on Amazon. He tries, he tries, so he tries. Everybody, stop. You want to roast us, but no. <laughs> we, are, we are ready it's for the, you. the disposableness of this generation. No, uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't think I need the charged Panera lemonade. I yeah, don't need no, a it Celsius. Does it like kills people. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be, it's a little Which dangerous. Which is why I looked up, like, how many Nespresso pods can I consume? I mean, I'm never going to get there. What's the answer? It's like... Seven? Twenty. Oh, I thought it was in lower a day? than that. Yeah. How, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna Oh yeah, reach I mean that. like and I could no, I think you can actually do six Celsius. I'm I'm not I'm not a doctor any six? anymore. 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 Legally I can't on land. Yeah. Once he gets off, he <laughs> says a lot of more stuff. Okay. Anyway, okay, we're going. We have to end this anyway, Grace. You it's you're leaving for Thanksgiving. I How am? much number one can kill? Number one Thanksgiving food for you before we go. Ooh. Okay, wait. Oh, I, I, know wait we, I know we have to end, but so for the last six years, mm. five years, five mm. years, I was vegan, which you guys don't oh, even know about me. I'm not Grace. vegan. I'm not vegan anymore. The almonds. <laughs> the I'm almond not, became the vegan your mother has so much she over, damage she overtook so me much damage to um you. so this is my first thanksgiving in five years not vegan oh this oh, is so great. i feel like i will give effects. my review next time next week or not next week the week after next yes but what i'm most looking forward to i have to say is the turkey oh really i've been eating a turkey sandwich every single day since i stopped being to vegan. prep your body every single not day. every single day but most days like I love turkey sandwiches. What was your go-to uh, meal for the 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 vegan? The lean years. <laughs> um, nothing. <laughs> Last Brutal. year, if... I was hoping you'd say gravy bean casserole. Oh, There's tons... sorry, I was never. No. I would never say that. <laughs> okay, you and AT have a bond then. <laughs> I like green beans, I'm, but green bean casserole. Come I'm, on, I'm not a casserole person. Neither am I. They're like you're from Ohio. You gotta say yeah, yes to casserole. I'm surprised you are from Ohio. I you am. are. A judgment, a judgment was made. Yep. I I I assumed you were gonna be all over that. Anyway. I was hoping she would. What, NAT, your favorite? My favorite? Uh, Middle Eastern food that my family eats, yeah. Uh, hashui, okay? Hashui <laughs> and celebrate. kofta, all right? Okay, 5,000 to 10,000 milligrams of caffeine. Watch out, guys. Good for you. Gavin's most excited for uh, the caffeine. Anyway, <laughs> no, the, the, the body temperature cheese yeah, sticks he carries in his pocket. That he keeps pocket. in his pocket. 
No Our explanation. Set. No explanation, Gavin. Do the outro, please. Thank you very much. We love you all. Have a good Thanksgiving. Yeah, room temperature mozzarella is always preferred on the podcast, and you can always stay up to date with that by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or a voice message at 803-563-7169. Who needs cold cheese? And stay up to date with this news on SCTV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. I can feel every second. Oh, they're getting cold and firm again? Mm.